Hello and welcome back to Outside the 18, a podcast about soccer where we break down tactics, talk about the big games, uh, and we remain the only Arsenal slash Sheffield United podcast in the world. Would you agree with that, Rodney? In the world? I don't know any other ones, so at, at this point, I think it must be fact. It's such a niche uh, market that we're trying to corner the people who love Arsenal and also love Sheffield United. It's not it, a, a common thing. Some would say that I'm I'm one to bring a knife to a gunfight. Uh, so <laughs> honestly, I think it's a good pairing. <laughs> I guess speaking of knives to gunfights, let's get right into the games because the Premier League is back. Uh, we and, have waited. So long over this past what two weeks, <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. it showed. I, we were talking right before the show about this, and I think both of us felt like this was just a really weird week for games, kind of like Premier League Hangover Edition. Um, and I like the way you describe it. You said coin flip in a lot of these games, where you know a couple things go another way, and the results are really different. Yes, absolutely. Scores didn't tell the story, I think, for most of these games. Um, you know, all told, for a lot of a lot of a lot of things going on in these games. Yeah, and I, I, you, you know, you you're going to see the other pundits who just their immediate gut reactions are going to be very strong. You know, panic for this team. This team really highly rated. And I think, uh, yeah, this is sort of the um, calm down. It's week one short break a lot of players still getting integrated and the transfer window is still open so true that's you know, a good these point clubs are not even going to be recognizable in their starting 11 in three four weeks I, I guess going down the list of the games a game that didn't really fit the bill of what we're talking about first game arsenal three fulham zero mm-hmm. a really dominant performance from um my boys this week Mm-hmm. And a very poor showing from Fulham. I think this is a wake-up call. The Premier League is not the championship. Championship-quality players lead championship-quality results. And Arsenal, like, I, I try to look at this game with a critical eye, and there's some, some passing needs to be tightened up, some defending here and there. But really, I, I don't know. As an Arsenal supporter, I couldn't really ask for a whole lot more. Um, dominant in possession, dominant in goal-scoring chances – looked comfortable playing out of the back. Um, I, yeah, felt really good. Uh, to that point, I was just going to mention, I feel like the playing out of the back definitely improved. I mean, we talked about that uh, previously. and uh, it, I mean, granted, like you said, I mean, it's, you know, it's Fulham. It might it might not work the same way against every team, but uh, I really did. I appreciated the way that Arsenal was playing out of the back and, and moving the ball. I mean, I really did feel like they had a lot more control. So it was good to see. I also was, I guess I was surprised how well Willian fit so quickly into the team, not having a lot of time. That was my one big note out of this game was just he, it was amazing. He had two, arguably three assists, Mm -hmm. um, contributions and all of the goals and looked extremely comfortable playing kind of in the center of the field, switching out right. And, um, I thought it was great. Uh, if I'm Nicholas Pepe, I'm probably not feeling amazing watching William take my spot so so quickly. But uh, in terms of Arsenal performance, um, very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, second game on the list, Crystal Palace 1, Southampton 0. A lot of 
pundits sort of talking about Southampton being a sleeper team to compete for top eight, if not even push on for top six. Don't really have a lot of big signings in that squad, but people really love Ralph Hasselhoodle and um, the things he's doing over with Southampton. Not the result that you would expect from all of that hype. Uh, Crystal <laughs> Palace, just a really well-organized team under Roy Hodgson and an amazing goal from Wilfred Zaha. And like, this is a perfect example of what you were talking about before, one of those games where you know, Zaha misses that kick, uh, which he very easily could have done, and this is a nil-nil draw. Or Danny Ings makes one run late and, and gets a touch, and this is a one-nil win to Southampton. So I, I wouldn't be overreacting, I guess, in either direction. Agreed. Agreed. But I, I do think that um, just generally speaking, and maybe not for all the teams that played this weekend, but I do feel like we have a pretty competitive pretty competitive group of teams uh, this year i mean we'll see how things flush out but uh you know the i i had this feeling like a lot of these teams that were a little more in mid table last year are gonna have a little bit more of a fighting chance especially as we're seeing so much change and things happening on some of the other teams um you know new players coming in uh some teams dealing with injuries the the kind of very quick start from you know the previous season to this one i think that you're gonna see a lot more um a lot more room for those teams to make an impact and, and climb that ladder and or just pull other teams down. Um, so, good stuff. I totally agree. And I, I think some of the big clubs are also going to be affected by so much international play, a condensed season. Injuries are just going to add up more for them when they have people going out on international duty. And, yeah, I, I think there, there's going to be some weird finishes in the table this year. Um Moving on to our next game, West Ham nil, Newcastle 2. I just, my heart kind of breaks for West Ham. They hit the crossbar twice in this game and really were in it. Like, they they didn't create as much chances. They weren't as good. Newcastle deserved the win. But it just seems like this. these are just the games that happen in Newcastle where you're like, man, they just cannot catch a break. Like, Arsenal is playing them next week, and I couldn't circle a more guaranteed win in my life. Like, every time we play West Ham, I'm just like, I feel kind of bad. Like, <laughs> seem like some nice guys. And, yeah. Yeah. A sad state of affairs. Uh, a rose on the grave, you know? <laughs> Poor West Ham. <laughs> Poor one out for the West Ham. Uh, Poor one out for West Brom. Oh, pour a whole crap. gallon out for West Brom. Leicester City, 3-0. Uh, yeah, another club. This is not the championship, and y'all better do something serious in the next few weeks of the transfer window if you have any dreams of staying up. Because this was just – I watched only the first half, and I was like, I, I don't – I can't really take it anymore. This is yeah. really difficult to watch. Two very different classes of teams. Um mm-hmm. Uh, agreed agreed and i i've all i know that uh our theme for the day is definitely you know don't don't overreact but i do think that of all the games the ones that i the one that i felt the the the, the most knee-jerk reaction about was that game i was like west brom i don't think is gonna it's gonna have a 
good time here uh, at the in, in, in the in the Premier League. I, I just feel like it, it might take quite a bit of thi- quite a bit of work or new players to really put them in a position to be successful. And trying to do that in a shortened time window uh, with a bunch of very strong teams um, seems like it'd be a pretty a pretty steep uh, hill to climb. So we'll see. But uh, we might need to get a whole bouquet for their grave uh, by the end of this this, this season. Uh, a grave that I would be happy to dig. Uh, Tottenham Zero every single one. my transition game here. I love it. Uh, this was, I think, for a lot of people, the one of the big games of the weekend. And um, appointment television, you're getting to see a new look Everton, getting to see some new signings for Tottenham. And... I, this game really exemplified that coin flip to you. Like Spurs had chances, certainly, and Spurs Twitter has been in an absolute meltdown, and, and I'm just <laughs> bathing in the tears. <laughs> that being said, like this squad definitely missed Giovanni Lacelso. They missed that creator in the middle of the field, Deli mm-hmm. Ali. I think he maybe is still nursing an injury. He didn't look fully fit, um, and. And Dumbelli plays 15 minutes and looks good in the midfield. And you're like, Jose Mourinho, sort it out, man. But I, I, I think mm-hmm. he will. I think Jose is a smart manager. And and I think Everton is just a good team. Like, this is not a team to be underestimated. 100%. Um, one thing I noted about that game was that at least, you know, according to the lineup, um, you know, on, on paper uh, for 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 Tottenham, they were supposed to be playing kind of like a, uh, you know, a four, you know, four, two, three, one. And I just, I'd felt like one of the things that they struggled with is I feel like they just got flatter than that. They became more of a very four, four, two looking shape, which, which definitely, you know, gives you a little bit more, um, width which which can be helpful right to stop runs down the wings but at the end of the day i felt like the just the the central the center three for for uh, everton were strong and really trying to play more compact in the middle might have actually been a, been a better place to try to shut them down um, on defense but you know it's a small aside like i said i think there were a lot of things there that might have been happening outside of what people had planned or, or, or indicated or coached so it's hard to say what was what will stay and what will go but i just noticed that a little bit that they seem to kind of change a little bit and i don't know if that was intentional but i don't know that it served them well with such a strong midfield i thought at least strong midfield performance from everton but a real a good game i enjoyed watching that game despite it being a, a fairly low scoring one yeah I think two things that jumped out to me in his press conference after the game, Jose Mourinho said he called the team lazy in their pressing and said that that was a product of bad fitness. So it, I think a lot of people have been reading into that as a dig at Endo Bele, a dig at Deli Ali, and maybe it is, but I also think it's just, I think he is right. Like the team is pretty gassed. They were playing late into the year didn't have a ton of a break and then didn't have a lot of a preseason to build that fitness back up. Mm-hmm. The other thing that jumped out to me is that Harry Kane didn't touch the ball in Everton's penalty box until the 80th minute. <sighs> and he, but he was so close. That's the thing. He had so close, so close to the ball several times. Anyways, continue. I, I, I guess this, this has been brought up with him before in, in when he gets injured, the results for Spurs really go down the toilet. 
And I, I guess I think about this in, in comparison to a team like Arsenal, where Arsenal currently is just built to get Aubameyang the ball in space on the left. And like he scored an amazing goal this weekend off of doing that. They really try to overload the right and then do these big switches to him on the left because he can just win one-on-ones. Right. And I think Harry Kane is a complete striker. I think he is maybe the best striker in the Premier League, barring his injuries. But I, I just worry that sometimes Spurs is not being built right now to just feed him and give him a ton of chances. And mm-hmm. um, Yeah, you know, personnel, fitness, there's a lot. Week one, I think this will get sorted out. I wouldn't panic if I'm a right. Spurs fan, but that was something I was, I was thinking about coming out of this game. Definitely. Um, moving on to the, we had two games today, a Monday little treat, mm-hmm. uh, Wolves two, Sheffield United, your blades nil, mm-hmm. like My another weird game, two goals in the first like seven and a half minutes. And then really next to nothing for, you know, either side. I, I did notice, I felt like Sheffield, um, they, they really like to play those overloads and overload one side and really be able to dominate that. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like maybe fitness or, or, or maybe just how deep Wolves sit. They don't really get those opportunities in the same way they normally would. Yeah. Um, and the but, early goals, I mean, that's the other thing that I feel like you got to remember too is when you go down 2-0 so early in a game, it changes it changes a lot about the dynamic, you know. Um that especially for any any team that's comfortable sitting back, if you score early, it's I mean it's a, a gift, a true a true gift because now you get to lean into a, a style of play that you know you're comfortable with, but really invites the other team to make a mistake. Um, and in a way, I'm actually, I mean, this might sound a little bit like uh, maybe, maybe this is my my heart bleeding for for my blades, but. I actually would say this. I'm gl- I- I'm actually kind of a little impressed that the score remained at two zero because with with the kind of countering force that you know that the Wolves have and players like you know um, Triore and a lot of their other just they're fast and strong and good on the counter. You know, with scoring two goals within the first seven minutes. Uh, you know, you would expect a Sheffield is going to have to push high. They're going to try to overload even when there's not a ton of space. And that, that seems like it should have led to some very good counters, but they, you know, they kept their own for what it's worth. Um, and, and, you know, ended up with a two Oh anyway. So I, I also, the, the announcer mentioned this in the game last year, Wolves only dropped four points from winning positions all season. Mm-hmm. So this is a, like, this is a team that is built for this particular thing. When they go up, they know how to sit back and really defend. And yeah. and they do that really well. And I think yeah. Sheffield, from having them watch, the, watch them just torture Arsenal and torture other big teams, they know how to sit back really well and exploit people's mistakes. And Wolves is just not really a team that makes those kind of mistakes. Is not really a team that, that pushes up too high. They're, they're fine sitting back and absorbing pressure. and Yeah, so kind of a tough matchup for Sheffield and, and just amazing individual play from Jimenez early on. Kind of the difference. So Right, um, right. A beautiful goal. A beautiful goal. Beautiful. It F- felt like a clinic. Just, you know, stand there, let me toss it to you, and just psh, beautiful. The ball from Potence was really nice, and 
I had to look him up because I was like, who the heck is this guy? <laughs> and he sounded English. Like, Potence to me sounds kind of English. I'm like, well, there's an English player on Wolves. Fake out. He, turns out he is actually Portuguese. <laughs> um, <sighs> uh, amazing ball from him. That was an absolute peach. Yeah. Uh, the second game today, another kind of weird game. Chelsea 3, Brighton 1. I think, you you know, jumps off the score sheet. Wow, great attacking performance from Chelsea. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, hold up. Who are the people who scored goals? It was their central defensive midfielder on a PK, Jorginho. Their center back on a deflected, bounce-around, weird goal, Kurt Zuma. And then, like, M- M- uh, Emerson, no, Reese James. Reese James, back. an absolute rocket. A rocket from 30 yards out. Yeah. And, like, did Kai Havertz not play? Did Werner <laughs> not play? Like, what is mm-hmm. going on? And, yeah, I, I think those guys are going to need some time. Yeah. And... I also think Kai Havertz was just played grossly out of position. I, I, I really think that he's someone who should be a little bit more central and have some more time to work his way into a game. Mm-hmm. He's not Mason Mount. Like, he's not out there to press on defense and just run at people really hard and mm-hmm. be out on the wings. Like, he is a creative player who should be having a lot of the ball. Um, yeah. But another example, I think Frank is going to get his personnel sorted and and figure things out. Um, I love Brighton. I love the way that they were playing in this game. Lamptey is this right back kid, like child, more than seventeen years old. He's like five three, I would guess, and looks he he looks like a, a bunch of my middle schoolers looked like when I was there. <laughs> like, how is this kid out? There? Right, and running at Chelsea with absolutely no fear, just. And not making Marco Salonzo. Quite the acceleration. I mean, he could. He was really finding his way through these, you know, like closing crevices of space sometimes to to make to make a play. I mean, you know, I don't think any of it led to to an amazing outcome on the other end. But you could see something raw there. It felt like that uh, that given some more playing time. You know, and maybe you know, puberty <laughs> would like it would just absolutely. I mean, you could get a very strong plant to grow out of that soil. Is kind of how I felt watching him play. And I had never, I mean, I didn't know him at all before this game. Um, and uh, yeah, he was exciting. He was an exciting player as an individual. Um, and I too liked Brighton. I thought they played really well. I did think they played really well. I, I do think that uh, just to just to say one word about Chelsea. Although they, although they didn't quite get the goals, um, I and maybe maybe I'm being optimistic, but I saw some some runs that were made and some through balls that you know it felt like it felt like I was in training and I was like yeah no I was off sides but we're just going to run that again and and within you know the 15 minutes of training you're seeing those kinds of plays made over and over in like a five you know in a five aside you know I, I feel like they just need a little more time to find the chemistry they're inches away i thought from a few plays you know a second too early on the run a second too late on the pass one too many touches and they kind of lost a very like a little spark it's like they had the spark but the gas didn't quite light um and i i actually really do think that uh honestly the thing that i think about uh verner and, and havertz that they really add to this team is i really think they add a lot of intelligence um 
I think they see the game really, really well uh, for for their for whatever their performance was in this particular game. None of the players, to me, on on Chelsea have like quite the same vision that the two of them do, and I'm really sad that uh, that um, uh, our guy from uh, uh, who's who's injured right. No, not Pulisic. Um, our, our guy coming over from Ajax, um, the okay. wizard himself, Ziyech. Uh, Ziyech is another player for me that brings a lot of intelligence. And I think that if he's able to get healthy and then this chemistry builds between the three of them, I really think they're going to be very strong, especially if they can keep Conte in the midfield, playing a defensive game. I mean, uh, whatever Thiago Silva does, it's, he's going to be relying on Conte just as much as anybody. <laughs> so I feel, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I was thinking in this game, you know, one N'Golo Conte looks to be N'Golo Conte again. He had some injury problems last year yeah. that definitely hampered him. And man, he looks so confident in just interrupting the flow of Brighton's game. And I saw him making these really nice runs. He had a couple of really nice runs into the box and then I also think, too, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, you know, tough, tough start for him today. He really did not play very well. And mm-hmm. um, if you're sliding Havertz into the 10 position where he was and you have Ziyech on the right where Havertz was, like that upgrade is so big in both of those spots and putting people where they're more comfortable and more skilled. Yeah. And this, this team looks so different. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I feel for Loftus-Cheek because – he also has had a lot of injury problems, did not get a lot of run of games last year, and that is sort of like thrown in the starting 11. And the 10 role, trying to distribute to these you know, stars in front of him, mm-hmm. and it, it, was, it was ugly. But I, I, I kind of also feel like he was sort of put in a position where he's just not really going to be ready for that. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say he's still a talented player, and I hope Frank <laughs> gives him some time later, but I, I didn't really I, this is this is a this is I guess a secret I didn't even know myself, but I have a soft spot in my heart for for Loftus Cheek, and I've thought this for a little while now that that guy just needs a home. Like he needs to move to a smaller, like a like a mid table team that like like a Brighton even, uh, and that that's not you know that's on you know that's that has some energy going, but to go to a team where they're going to appreciate him um, and like and ease him back in, you know, it, it feels like. Uh, uh, it's so rough to be a person coming out of injury like that with a changing, you know, with a bunch of players you just bought for, you know, a bunch of money, you know, like what a, what a awkward position I think in some ways to, to be in, especially coming out of it. Yeah. I think it's a lot of pressure and it's hard. It's hard to watch because I do think he's a talented player. And I think he could, I think he could really perform. I think he'd be, I think he'd be a cornerstone of, of, of a, of a team. Um, maybe not the only one, but he could be, and it's tough to watch him have to take that on yeah i guess maybe last thought on brayden you used the word raw to describe lampty and i thought that just kind of summed up their performance today there there are so many instances where they had this really nice little interplay between you know some give and go and then just the final ball wasn't quite there the final touch wasn't quite there and the dunk header oh just by the bottom post oh so close and I, i i think a lot of people were eyeing Brighton as a squad to potentially go down, but I think they're going to be hanging around. I think they're turning into a pretty stable mid, lower mid-table Premier League club under Graham Potter. I, I, 
I like what they're about. And yeah, it's it's weird to say, but I kind of look forward to watching them play in the future. Because me too, I totally agree. Glimmers of some really cool stuff happening there. Absolutely, absolutely excited to watch them play. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back to talk about Liverpool Leeds, our game of the week. All right, and welcome back, listener. It's good to have you again. Um, Liverpool Leeds, huge game. All the pundits are correct. Liverpool should be terrified. Their defense is a mess. <laughs> Legitimately going to challenge for the title this year. <laughs> Rodrigo, is that the case, or... Uh, uh, the, the son of London somehow wrong. Uh, you know, honestly, it, this could be this could be the second coming, uh, and he could have. And and the thing about Jesus that nobody knows is, did he have a man bun or not? That's the question. <laughs> and I think Leeds, I think Leeds is going to show us whether he did or not. Um, I I think I think that uh, I think this game, and I'll just give you this. I think this game was very exciting for maybe the wrong reasons. Like the whole time I watched, well, I like Leeds. I like Leeds, and I honestly I think I'm just prejudiced on something else. You know, I'll have to explore that later. I, well, I like Leeds. Um, I feel like, in an interesting way, they really relied on some individual performances. The goals they scored were beautiful. And if those guys can continue to score goals with that out of those kind of individual moments, then honestly, power to them. But at the same time, uh, I don't know if you can pull that out every day, especially especially being unknown. Being unknown and being very talented is a very valuable thing. You know, when you've played somebody before, you know something about them. You know, and uh, I think that that was something that really benefited them in a way. And I also think that like Liverpool played kind of sloppy, uh, so there's really not much to you know sure about them but I, I do think that as as you've pointed out that the that the, the kinds of like I, Liverpool I think is going to way outperform people's actual expectations like I think people you know if you go to the if you go to the line and you're going to put down your money on a team for the season right now I think the line's actually probably pretty fair to them but people's actual impressions emotionally I think people are way doubting them um and I think that that's actually exactly what they need uh, because it makes you feel more like an underdog, um, which I, which is I think honestly what you want to feel, especially with Klopp as your coach. He's a guy who really runs I think the the underdog scene very well. I totally agree with you. I think everything I read and everything I hear from other people about Liverpool, you would think that this team is not on the back of winning the Premier League and the year and winning the Champions League the year before, like. You, you would think that there was an absolute meltdown happening with this football club. And they won the game. Like, right. I, I look at this and I'm like, the way that people are reacting, they're reacting like Liverpool was beaten 5-0. They won the game. Yeah. They scored four goals. <laughs> and like, they scored more. I, yeah. yeah. It kind of blows my mind. And I also wholeheartedly agree with you about your assessment of those Leeds goals. Like, Beautiful goals. Yeah. The, the third goal from Click, where he took it one time and just absolutely ripped it, I was like, man, mm-hmm. that was... Pure technique. Absolute, just pure, pure technique. Pure instinct. Beautiful. That's going to happen maybe once again for that guy in his life. Like, I just don't see a lot of those goals necessarily replicating themselves in that way. Yeah. I, I agree. Leeds is a good side, and I think Leeds is talented. I think Bielsa is a good coach. 
I like what they're doing. I do kind of think, though, in a weird way, that Liverpool is a good matchup for them in making them look really nice because they play this small kind of quick pass, one touch, really be able to look up for the next man. I was watching some of the Leeds players when they were playing, and you could see when they're receiving the ball, their head is up, mm-hmm. and they're looking to make the next pass right away. There's very little carrying the ball, and um, and that works really well against a high press, and it works against a high line. And mm-hmm. if if you're going to break down a high line, like that's kind of how you're going to do it. You're going to be able to play quick pass passes and make these nice runs. Yeah. And I think I, I just I, I can picture it right now. They're going to be playing Burnley. And Burnley's going to be sitting back, and some random guys from Northern Ireland are going to just be bossing Team Man Bun up and down the field. Like the old man at the end of the bar is going to get up and <laughs> give a give you a talking to <laughs> that kind of situation. I think, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I like Leeds is nice and flashy, and I think they're going to score some great goals, and they're going to be a fun team to watch. I think they're going to struggle breaking down some of those well organized Premier League deep sit, sitting teams like Wolves, like Sheffield, like Burnley, like that this this squad is gonna Brighton. struggle in those in those spots. And their defense is god awful. Like Liverpool lit them up and could have lit them up probably more. And and if you and if you honestly honestly can I say this, that Van Dyke goal, the header I, I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying like it's just like a pure sign because here we are. I'm having the same knee-jerk reactions. But, but honestly, that guy. Nobody picked him up. He literally. He didn't get picked up. He didn't get picked up for a mark. And he's the largest dude who's regular. He, he's that's how he scores. He just comes in flying. Like he practically hit the ball and then caught it before it came out of the net. Like. Like that, it, it, can you imagine like uh, some of these other teams if they get set pieces like that, they could crush you. They have three guys who can do that. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I was thinking about it when I was watching that. Mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of NBA. I was like, what's the closest to a slam dunk in soccer? <laughs> and I was like, I think that's it. The hand of God, but short of that, it's Van Dyke's head on a <laughs> Van Dyke's head. Second to that is McGuire's head on a ball. Both of those. <laughs> He just put that ball, like, yeah, he gave that ball, uh, whatever it is, the concussion <laughs> yeah. he, he just completely sent it to the Shadow Realm. Yeah, Shadow Realm, exactly. That's where it went. That goal, though, what, what was interesting to me when I watched that goal, I was I was rewatching all of the goals in this game. Mm-hmm. Two Leeds players ran into each other, and that kind of gave him the space. And Leeds was trying to man-mark, and when they were man-marking, Liverpool just kind of sat back. So there were only four or five people in the box for Leeds. Yeah. But then on the, I think it might be the last goal that Salah scored, Leeds had kind of everyone in the box, and then the it sort of felt like they were compensating for that mistake. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. the ball sort of plops out to Salah, who's sitting outside the 18, and he just... Um, you know, and I'm totally sublime. Beautiful finish puts uh, it up there. Yeah, I mean, granted, I don't know that he, ha- he had to have hit something so beautiful to have scored from that position, uh, sure. but he did pick that. He that was his method. Pick yeah. Spot. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, before I get to my question, I just want to say I love Mosala. I I genuinely dislike Liverpool. I'm not a huge Klopp fan. Mm-hmm. I root for them to lose. 
that guy when he scores, it just it's in my heart. I'm like, this yeah. is what is right in the world is mm-hmm. him scoring goals. And I totally undersold him when he came into the Premier League. I was like, he's gonna be trash. He played in Syria. That's a farmers league, and he's been amazing, obviously. Yeah. And watching him score these goals with the fresh haircut, I was like. <laughs> I don't know that you can something better. Mm. Um, but I guess that leads into my question about this game and, and my tactical question sort of for the week. Leeds players running into each other leads to a Van Dyke goal off a header. In the Sheffield game, players ran into each other, which led to that Roman Seiss header to get the second goal for Wolves. Yeah. Kind of clown mistakes, but both arose from man marking and man marking in the box off of kick so i'm wondering when you're coaching a squad and you're thinking about how are we going to defend against corners how are we going to defend against those mm-hmm. those deep set pieces that happen right what do you do do you go into zonal do you man mark the box yeah What's your I, you know here's the thing i'd say this any any strategy that you pick can always look really really dumb when poorly executed it, like it doesn't matter what you pick. So if you pick a man, but uh, you know people don't pick up their guys early, or they don't play them tight enough so that they can't lose, you know, lose them in a in a, in a turn or whatever it might be. You know, there's there's a few different pieces that go into that. Uh, if, if they don't do that, you can everybody can get look so lost. And the same thing can happen in a zone. Uh, it looks a little different, but it's kind of the same exact thing. It, it looks like one of those situations where everybody just stands still and nobody does anything. That happens in a zone when you haven't when you don't play it well because everybody just gets everyone thinks it's someone else's because they don't remember exactly whose is whose, and then they get caught right. And one guy just has to get it wrong for it to all fuck up. So. It, it it really it really can but look stupid either way. I think that um, I think that it, which you choose to play really just depends on the kind of players you have. Um, like it, it's it's just like what kind of players do you have? What are they good at? And by extension, you know how should I play it? So for example, if you're uh, you know man marking would be it would probably be an advantageous thing if you thought that physically you were a dominant uh, a dominant team over the over the opponent because. Uh, when you man mark, at least my philosophy on man marking in the in the, in the eighteen, really, if corner kick or otherwise, is that you want to have contact, physical contact at all times with the guy that you're marking. You should never not be touching him, even 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 just a hand. Um, but really, you should always really be making full contact with him, leaning on him. Um, and you know, it's it's honestly it's it's a skill. It reminds me a lot when I used to wrestle, like in high school. Uh, like it's just about understanding where that weight is distributed on your hand and knowing by extension where he can go and where he probably will go. Uh, and and from there, all you need to do, all you need to do, and this is the thing I love to tell people because I feel like they miss it, is you just need to change where he's going. He doesn't have to go anywhere in particular. Just wherever he wants to go, just change it a little bit. And if everybody does that to their individual man, no one's going to get to go where they wanted to go. Right? The only way you get beat is if that guy actually tricks you. He actually gets you lost on him. Right, which I think you can beat if you're really good and at keeping contact. I like to teach that. It's definitely more. I don't know. It feels more skill, like more skill based in a way than zoning. Zoning for me is a very is a very effective way to do with people who are like pretty smart, like and like visually. That's that's how their brains work. Like this is my space. 
people who are people who are kind of thoughtful like that i find they play zones really well um because they kind of they don't just get what's theirs they are able to think about like what would be easy for the people next to me and not and they can use that to decide. And then, you know, you've got your zone marked out. And they can... That, the thing I love about zone is the other team can do whatever they want. They can run around like crazy people. And you're just chilling, you know? No need to concern yourself with what they're doing. You're just going to execute in your space, you know? Um, and I... Yeah, so it really depends. I think that... I think the one thing that is definitely always been difficult for me with teams that I coach is set plays in the very early games of a league. For some reason, I feel like I've always seen my team struggle with that. Um, I just feel like there's something about, you know, the novelty of other players you don't know, like calling for a ball, kind of taking risk, like, you know, who's who's, time is lost. And then sometimes there are people who just aren't as good as the man mark. So, you know, I got a few weak spots in a man mark. That's you don't want that. Everybody's got to be good at that. You know what I mean? Otherwise, it's going to fall apart. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, cur- I'm I think that's a, a an interesting point to connect here. You know, you, you might have some new personnel in your squad. Yep. Early weeks, you're still learning some of the other players. These leads guys, I'm sure, almost all of them have never played against any of these people they're playing against. Right. So, I think that's a, a nice tie-in. I'm wondering if I'm like five foot eleven, man bun guy named aerodynamic, like, like Ian or something, and I play for Leeds. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm Ian Wright himself in a man mark against Van Dyke, who's got six or seven inches on me. I'm just giving this example because I'm curious if I'm a shorter defender and I'm man marking against someone who's got the height on me. Yeah. What, what am I doing in that situation? Oh, yeah. What are you telling great, that person? Great, great, great question. So there's there's two things about about all of this. And it's that, like, really, heading a ball is so much about timing. It's all about, you know, positioning yourself in a place where you're either going to move a guy at a time when he doesn't want to be moved or you're going to hit the ball at the, like you know the 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 peak point of 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 its you know trajectory through the through through the box you know like it's all about timing and i honestly if i have a small guy my question is whether i think he's either aggressive or strong if i got a smaller guy and i got a bigger against a bigger player if he's aggressive or strong then I'm going to tell him to play the way I described, which is to play physical, to play on him because you have a lower center of gravity. And honestly, you going up for a ball is actually going kind of up and into a larger man. And so that's a very easy way to throw someone off. You're pushing low around the hips, right? Cause you're a small guy. So you both go up, you can make that work for yourself. Uh, but if I, but if my player is not a physical player, he's small. Then all I would do is to, t- is to kind of give him that. I need you to wait until this guy is going to hit the ball. And then I need you to just throw yourself into him. Just that one time. That's it. Timing it. Just throw yourself in there. You don't have to like work it. You know, just throw yourself into the guy. Um, because you know, you'd likelihood you're not going to knock him down. Um, you know, I mean, obviously you can be egregious. No, I'm not talking about killing anybody out here, but, but you know, if you can make it work, um, you, it, the thing is, if you're going to play a man mark and you're going to, I mean, the thing is you don't want to put that guy on Van Dyke. Hopefully you have somebody else you could put on Van Dyke. You can put this, you know, kind of smaller 
guy on a outside defender or somebody who's you know just sitting back or something you know that would be ideal um i think i think that uh, how how you defense set pieces is really more about everybody agreeing on what it is and then and then you know practicing it execute 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 i think it's i think it's that way for both sides of 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 set place i think it's a rarity in soccer to have something that's so pure like that but i really do think that i think with set pieces it's really just practice i think that that came up a lot last season with manchester united conceding goals off of corners and set pieces yeah i would would hear a lot of united fans and critics sort of being like we're kind of zonal marking and then it seems like some people are kind of man marking. Yeah. It doesn't really seem like there's a unified and, on way that this is done. And, and that's because, and I feel like that just speaks to the fact that, it, and in my personal opinion is that I don't think that that's a top down decision that's being made there. I don't think Ole is sitting there and saying, Hey, we're going to, this is how we're going to defend the corner. I think it's the players in the team and half of them feel one way and the other half feel the other way, but they don't say anything, you know? And so they kind of get stuck in, you know, you, I, I just, I think that that's a, an example where like, do I imagine, uh, Ole coming down and be like, Hey, this is how we're going to defend our corners from now on. And, and even if he did, would it have any sticking power? I don't, I don't know that it would. That's my, you know, I'm obviously biased. I'm not a huge Manchester United fan or anything, but. <laughs> I, I agree. I think I've been seeing some, some people talking about, will he last this season? And yeah, but we can get down the rabbit hole of Manchester United. <laughs> um, I go down there swinging. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe one last tactical question I had coming out of this game was, the third Liverpool goal, the one we've sort of been talking around, mm-hmm. when I rewatched it, leads the 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 foul is committed maybe thirty five yards out, and it gave Liverpool this free kick to curl in the box, and then it sort of pings around and comes out to solid, and he scores. And I think we, we've talked about some of the issues maybe in marking and and some of the things to do, but up at the top. I saw Leeds leave two people in a wall right in front, like 10, 10 paces away or whatever the distance is. Mm-hmm. And it, it was so far out. Part of me was like, wouldn't those people be better used in the box? Like they're not realistically going to block the ball. Is there a reason to have those guys out to like screen the vision to the line or something? Mm-hmm. I, I guess when I was watching it, I was like, if I'm Leeds and I've gotten beaten on a set piece once, I'm going to pack the box. And I'm like, it, it felt like they were looking for a break and they were looking for the fast break. And that's sort of why they had these guys high up. But mm. I was curious about your thoughts on that. And yeah, if I was yeah. maybe missing something. No, I mean, I think that, I think that, you know, where you distribute, where you define, like where you decide to distribute your players on a set piece you know, is indicative of, of, of pretty much exactly what you're trying to do, right? Like, then nobody should ever be a place that's, like, unexplained. So there's people on the wall. They should be there to make it hard for that person to shoot directly into that certain side of the goal. And to a certain extent, they should be, you know, making it difficult to see the goal, you know, put the ball over them, whatever it is. But... And then if you're in the box, you should be marking somebody some way, right? Whatever you've defined for your team, you know, likely you're man marking, but you're setting a line and you're not moving until the ball is hit, right? To make sure that there's no. 
So, but at the, but at, but at the same time, wherever you put them, so it, it could either be this, it could be sloppy, or yeah, it could be purposeful. And if it's purposeful, then your guess is probably as good as mine. But I would say probably looking for the counter, but also perhaps just, I mean, sometimes you know. I just feel like sometimes a wall feels more significant than it is to a player who's very good. <laughs> like, you know, like if, when you're not used to shooting around a wall, it's like you or me, like, yeah, it seems like, it. but, but honestly, if you're playing at that level, you, you shot around walls like all the time and you, you, that's something you're very familiar with. Like it doesn't really matter except for that you block space. Right. So like, that's, that's the one thing. So I honestly, I mean, I do think that changing, adding players to block visibility for the goalkeeper, like if you're going to add players offensively, hey, I think that's a very effective strategy because it does block vision for the goalkeeper. But adding a lot of people to the wall, it's just it's just an equation of how much space you want to block them from shooting at directly, right? Like that's that's it. Should never be more than that. Keep it lined up. Um, but you know, I. I think that set pieces are like the weird, like, you know, there's a lot of things about soccer that are probably unfair, but I'm like totally accepting of the fact that they're unfair or like kind of, you know, lead to arbitrary things. But one thing that I actually have like a a secret uh, kind of hatred of is set pieces. I think that they are really, I mean, they're very cool and I wouldn't take them out of the game or anything. Um, you know, I'm not like trying to rewrite the rules here, but sometimes they just really break my heart. And when I get them in a successful way, I do feel great, but it still feels very quick. Like it was just, you know, um, so there's something about it doesn't feel quite worth the cost of like some games just being decided because, you know, some teams just executed on this, on this, on this one set play a million times, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know why that, the, I mean, it's not, it's not even a bad, I mean, it's not, it's still an impressive thing. I just, for some reason, I don't like it nearly as much as the, the rest of the game, the rest of the it's means. A good, it's a good call. I think I, I agree with you. And I think part of the reason I agree with you is because like these examples are good ones. These weren't particularly great, amazing set pieces. These were defensive breakdown mistakes. A ball sort of pings around. And I feel like it's pretty rare when I watch a set piece and I'm just like, wow, the defense just couldn't have done anything about that. That's just an amazing goal. Yep. More often than not, it's like, what What was Rob Holding doing on that play? <laughs> right, right. Or it's like the ball lands in there and it pings around and then it goes in and you're like, what? Like, yep. Even when my team scores that kind of goal, I'm like, okay, like, what? Like that's so yeah. whack. And yeah, yeah. I, it's it's I it's totally pretty whack. It's pretty whack. I I I really, I yeah. I like. I find it to be one of the most. It's weird because I don't know how else I'd replace it exactly. Like, you know, I mean, they get to hit the ball. Yeah, like they could do whatever they want. They decided that they want to stop for a second and like think about it. I could, you know, how are you going to stop that? Um, and, uh, but at the same time, it really does feel, it does feel, uh, I, I, you know, I'll put it this way. If I look up in my head, like an encyclopedic knowledge I have of my own personal history and I go, find me everything related to set pieces, nine times out of 10, it's a tragedy. 
I don't remember the I don't remember the like there being many set pieces that was like yes glory no it was like oh thank god this was like oh my god like after all that work like how many times I thought that after all that work it was that you know mm. heartbreaking but that's how life is you know it's very important lesson wrapped up important lesson wrapped up in that and uh, it's you know it's only man bun Jesus that can that can tell us the truth. <laughs> <laughs> say personal anecdote the only goal i scored for my club team in my <laughs> career was a header off and i felt okay. absolutely amazing i i scored i scored i've scored i literally i think off of one header off of, of a free kick my whole life and it was an amazing feeling stabbed it, honestly set pieces are for the pl- are for the player not even players they're for the player that's true that's there for the player glory alright I think we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we can do some previews for some of the games coming up next week and talk about a couple of predictions alright listener we are back um, I love our, I love our listener I just want to put that out I love him he's just he's got a god faithful thank you so much for providing us with your attention I really hope he doesn't have a man bun after all of this. If he does, we have literally run the worst campaign. (laughs) We we got one, we got one person, and we just alienated him. (sighs) It's actually it's say la vie, say la vie. We got Ruben, Uh, Ruben. This one's for you, Ruben. (laughs) So we're looking out towards week two, and we're gonna try to pick a game that each of us think is going to be an upset and a game that we think is a guaranteed win. And then we're going to talk a little bit about um, what we're calling the game of the week and sort of games of the week. We're already breaking the singular dude. Why that we on ourselves? Why wait? Why wait? Start with upset. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't, I I don't know if this is too much of a gimme, but I kind of feel like Southampton Tottenham, it's jumping off of the list to me as a game for a potential upset. Yes, um, yes. I I know Southampton started kind of slow. I just they they've played pretty well against some big teams, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it will be interesting because they sold Hoyberg to Tottenham, and he's almost certainly going to start against them. Yeah, I I do think probably realistically. Tottenham is going to win this game and is going to kind of find their legs. But if there's a team that's kind of shaky on this table and if mm. there's a team that can kind of jump up and seize the opportunity, it is Southampton against Tottenham. So that was my pick for for an upset. What were you thinking? Oof. You know, I think a part of this is about what I want to define as an upset. Because, for example, like if Crystal Palace beats Man United, am I upset? Do I feel like that wasn't supposed to happen? No, but at the same time, you know, like I could definitely see it happening. So, you know, is it worth saying that? I don't know. I got to say that I, if I have to pick a game and I'm going to put money on that, I agree with you. I think the Southampton game could go the wrong way for Tottenham. Um, I think in a way, uh, 
in a way, Southampton is like uh, to Southampton feels like to me honestly like a well a well established militia or whatever it is. Like they just go out and lay siege, like but as a as like just a bunch of just individual missiles, and they just have a way of making teams struggle um, with that like just raw intensity. And I think they're I think Hoib- uh, for for what it's worth, I think Hoiberg played better in that kind of system because he was just kind of like this roaming gnome who kind of just like helped everybody out you know and uh and that was like a good cornerstone but they're raw even without a centerpiece like that um so i think that could definitely happen i also i i i don't know why but maybe it's just because i want to talk about it but that wolves man city in the bottom right is is yelling at me and it's yelling at me in the silliest way like a like a 2-1 wolves victory where you know city city you know goes down early, doesn't stress, scores one to tie it like at the beginning of the second half. And then late game Wolves come back with another goal and finish it 2-1. Like, you know, nothing nothing necessarily spectacular, but I could totally see that going the other way. And if I was betting because I was betting, you know, for fun, then I would put my money there on the Wolves City game. Um, but Wolves love beating City. <sighs> Arsenal. Terrible Arsenal beat City last season. People forget that. People to remind our listeners. Listener, <laughs> if you before you get your haircut, don't forget <laughs> Arsenal took down Man City. Uh, uh, I guess guaranteed win until West Brom plays Fulham. It's basically anyone who's playing against West Brom for me. <laughs> I almost think we might need to just take them out of this category. <laughs> Uh, Agreed. Everton is going to kick the ever-living shit. <laughs> I, is oh, like, my God. Is it? so substantially better. And I, I know Rich Arlison kind of, he didn't really have on his shooting boots last week and made some mistakes. He had on his boot and shoots, though, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> He'll find his form. And I love Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I, I uh, yes. to have a huge season this year, and I think the midfield is set up to do that. And Find me a market <laughs> <laughs> that he scores more goals than expected this year, 100%. Ooh, someone had this on Twitter. Who scores more goals this year in the league? Dominic Calvert-Lewin or Timo Werner? Oh, and what? Like, that, like my, my <laughs> reaction was, wait, what? Timo Werner is clearly so much better. But then I was like, Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Timo Werner is sharing goal-scoring opportunities with a lot of other people. Yeah. Like, today, he didn't even take the PK. Yeah. Oh, man. Right now, it's one. It's 1-0. One Dominic Calvert-Lewin is up after one week. So, I, that might be one to maybe keep, keep an eye on. I, I, I think that'll be... Uh, let's, let's just... I'm glad you raised it. We can, we can So, we can go back to this at some point and remember... Indeed, that, that we need I to check on this. Generating, I think, into a gambling podcast <laughs> line on that Everton West Brom. Just, just, just mortgage the house, okay? <laughs> like, like, take out whatever you can and put it on Everton just to win. The hair product you were eyeing that you were going to buy this weekend, Ethan or Ian, Mister Man. <laughs> Put table bat. You'll be able to buy a ton with all the money you're going to win. You'll be you'll be eating vitamin E after this game. I promise you. 
<laughs> what about you? Oh, uh, Smash Fest of the week, guaranteed dub. Mm. Uh, okay, I am gonna have to say. Uh, <sighs> da da Arsenal West Ham is the smash of the week. Honestly, I think Arsenal is gonna absolutely pillage West Ham. Like um, we were talking about it earlier, Willian is a fit. And I have been high on my horse for Willie Ann for actually a while. Uh, I didn't talk about it because I didn't have anything to back it up. <laughs> um, but I have been. And him fitting it makes a very like long-standing hypothesis in my head, which was that Willie Ann's a talented player. I think he could be a very dynamic game changer. The way that he can dribble and pass and shoot is and, and be strong. Like, he's strong fast, you know? Like, he really digs in. I really think he can cause a lot of trouble. Playing off of a player like Obama Yang is going to be a treat. Uh, And it's already started. West Ham, we said it before, rose on the graves for our friggin' hammers, you know? Like, (laughs) rest in power, West Ham. Arsenal is going to absolutely tear it up. Um, I Honestly, I want to put that as another like thrashing. I want to say it's 4-0 Arsenal. Like, because they're coming off of a win, they're feeling good, and Obama Yang and, and, and Willian feeling good is the, the best. It's, that is, whatever resources you have, you should really be investing in that. You know, get them matching socks, give them an Instagram story, give them whatever they need, you know? <laughs> you got me and that's why that's why i'm here you know what i mean keep <laughs> people on on arsenal twitter are calling them law because it's la cassette abama yang william wow i kind of love that they need to they, we need to get they need to make a brand kind of they need to make an icon for that of some kind and then you need to just get that on something you know what i mean get it on a shirt get it on anything just law but we gotta you know it's gotta it's gotta work oh i really i really love that trio up top i think they are and i'm gonna use a different word for this just to be clear they're not they're not the the poor man's, you know, Zeke, Werner, uh, and Havertz. They're not the poor man's, but they're they are the they're the the salt of the earth version. You know what I mean? They're the salt of the earth. They know robots. You know what I mean? Like, uh, they're they're so fluid in the way they attack, uh, and they all do such different things in great complement. I think it's going to be really fun to watch. So. <laughs> Get ready to break that heart, Duffy. I was gonna say, I'm ready to. <laughs> I have been on this road, and this road leads to playing Chelsea. Your heart and soul ripped right out. You. Uh, okay, game of the, game of the week. Game of the week. What do we got? What do we got? Throw your dice. Well, I mean, Chelsea Liverpool is just so tasty. Uh, Sunday. Agreed. Game. That's huge. I, I do. We were talking about it before. It is a shame that Chelsea's not going to have Ziyech and really be all out. And also, maybe that Liverpool's not going to have Thiago Alcantara, who, like, rumor mill has said they're supposed to be signing him at some point. Mm-hmm. He might go to Manchester United now. It's hard to say, but 
these squads could look different later. So I think we both feel like it would be nice to have seen them play maybe a little bit later on when things are more settled. Chelsea's kind of figured it out. Definitely feels early. Definitely feels early, you know, to be to be putting a game like that. I mean, I know that that's not how they works, but still feels feels early that way. It was, uh, oh, yeah, they're both not ripe yet, you know. They're just yeah. not ripe yet. I'll be I'll be interested to see it, and undoubtedly there's going to be so much overreaction to this game. Whoever wins, and and that almost makes you feel like if I were to predict the score of this game, it's going to be like nil nil, and it's just going to mm. be like a a kind of like turgid affair because so many people are going to get really hyped, and then it works out that way. Right. But, but really, I think both both sides, kind of whatever the result is, reading into it too much, I would caution anyone. Doing that, Dona. Yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I guess that being said, we, you also had mentioned this. Wolves Man City might be might be the one because we haven't seen Man City play yet this season. I know the last season ended like last week or whatever, but yes, we haven't seen. Man we City have not. Play, we have not. And Wolves looked good. They played well, and they play really well against City. So I think. That'll be a really entertaining game to watch. City trying to break down a team. You just get to see some nice passing. And, um, yeah, so those would be my two games of the week. Mm-hmm. But if I were to really lock in one, I think it is that Chelsea-Liverpool game. If you're going to watch only one game this week, mm-hmm. you should watch that just to start to get a sense and see how these teams coalesce and, and yeah. get it going. And it could be fireworks really good. So wouldn't want to miss it if it was. Um, my one, my one game is that you know, like this is the, this is like my dark back alley like game. Leeds United versus Fulham. I want to see a scrap. I want to see Fulham come out angry as hell, and I want to see him tear at these guys. I want to see him pull out, pull out their nicely tied buns. I want him just. Fulham to just beat him up with a solid 1-0 scrap backyard business. I mean, to be clear, you know, Fulham, they know Leeds, you know? That's the other thing. They know Leeds, they, you know, it might not be, you know, amazing, but they know them. And I think that could be, uh, honestly, a feisty game uh, for all of those looking for Leeds to break into the top four this year, you know? I think that's a, that's an interesting game to point out. I hadn't really been thinking about it mm-hmm. in that way, but I do kind of wonder if Fulham is going to feel some like, hey, you know, like we played in the same division. We both got promoted. This is a team we're familiar with. We kind of know what they're about. Like, yeah, we can, you know, we can kind of do this. And I yep. think you play against Arsenal. Yes, I know Arsenal is not what they used to be. They're still a pretty big team. <laughs> the right now. But I... I kind of can see how the lights are kind of bright, and and then you mm. you you go against a team you're feeling a little more familiar with. That's an that's a really interesting game to keep an eye on. Yeah, um, I'd record I'd record that one on VHS and rewatch it later. <laughs> keep an eye on Scott Parker's tie clip. It is unbelievable. So high up, I think it will get to the point where it's just going to be basically like at the knot. <laughs> The move he will pull when it reaches a knot, I'm so curious. <laughs> He's going to go 3-4-3 three, three at the knot, let me tell you. <laughs> they all do. They all do. <laughs> it's absurd. It is really absurd. I, there's some amazing sideline fashion 
Dude. A rocket of a man. Like, one of the most attractive men I've ever seen. And then I look at that tie clip and I'm like, bro, you just undid centuries of genetics that have formed you as a handsome looking dude with this yep. stupid tie clip. Like, yep. But, um, you know, everyone chooses their own fate, you know? <laughs> I had a pesticide that. There's the roach right there. <laughs> uh. Oh my goodness! Weird week. Oh, weird, weird week. week one. Weird week. And, and and I wouldn't be surprised if a weird week two. To be clear, I think a weird week two might be inbound as well. I agree. Uh, I'm excited for these games and excited to talk with you next week about them. And yeah, hopefully uh, your prediction comes <laughs> super true because that would make for a great weekend arsenal's gonna slap get your get your hearts ready get them out in your hands <laughs> uh all right great talking with you rod of course and, uh, you looking forward to next week uh, me too